0: we're going to start in a word of prayer so would you bow your heads and pray with me please Father I thank you that you invite us into your courts with praise with the worship that we give you and you allow us to get close to you and you love to get close to us God I thank you for revealing yourself through your word through creation God I pray that uh, your spirit would take Uh, the word of God as we open it up this morning and you would sink it deep into our lives and change us, God. I pray that we would receive it, that we would receive the truth of your word. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, there's some passages in Scripture that I love going back to, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, one of those is the first uh, part of the book of Acts. And I like going back there because uh, I, when I when I look at the church, normal Christianity around me, I feel like we leave a lot on the table, and there's a lot that we miss. Uh, and I like to look at the book of Acts and kind of use them, the the early church, as a measuring stick and uh, like to see how well we're measuring up. Because I can't think of a better uh, picture of what to look at than the early church to see Christianity on fire. Anybody like reading about the early church? And I mean, I'm just blown away. In a matter of hours and days, they go from waiting for the Holy Spirit, to just an explosion of Christianity on the world scene. And the things that you read about in there aren't normal to us today. I would say maybe in pockets. We probably see some of those things in pockets, but probably not the church in general. And so I love going back there periodically and just saying, how am I stacking up? Is there something I'm missing? What can I learn from these early Christians that I can apply today. And there's two things that stand out to me. Uh, We're going to talk about one this week and one next week, hopefully if I don't get the flu. Um, We're going to talk today about purity of their lives, and next week we're going to talk about confidence. We see those two things very clearly in the book of Acts. Now, when I say purity... Uh, a lot of times when we hear purity, we think of sexual purity, and we tend to stop there. But what I, uh, what I mean when I talk about purity is the very general true sense of the word. That is, when you think of something that's pure, it's undefiled. It's not watered down. It doesn't have anything added to it that doesn't belong. So to illustrate that, um, I brought something. I'm not sure if you guys know this. But three of the wonders of the modern world are local to Northeast Ohio. Did you know that? Why are you laughing already? I didn't get to the funny part yet. So three of those are local. I brought one. That's, that's Hartzler's chocolate milk. Okay? One of the wonders of the modern world. If you're wondering what the other two are that are not Hartzler's chocolate milk, they're Hartzler's eggnog and Jerry Hartzler himself. (laughs) I should be done right now. I mean, this... If you have ever tasted Hartzler's chocolate milk, you know that stuff is liquid gold. Am I right? I mean, pure as the driven snow. This stuff is incredible. So, when when you... Oh, man, I should have practiced this. When you have this you pour yourself a nice glass of Hartzler's chocolate milk. I mean, that, that's living right there, am I right? That is high living. So, pure, undefiled, unmixed, fantastic. Buy some for your Super Bowl parties. Now, I brought something else. I'm not sure how well you can see this. This is a jar of pickles. Well, the pickles have been removed. This is pickle juice. Someone said this morning, chocolate milk, pickles, pregnant woman's dream. Um, Now, I bet a lot of people would want to take a sip out of this cup right now because what's in there is pure. It's exactly what's supposed to be there. But when it has other things mixed in, I I know I can't believe I'm doing this. When it has other things mixed in, it still looks right, doesn't it? It still looks like good chocolate milk. I didn't lose any of it, but not a single person in here would want to drink this now that it's been defiled. Jerry is going to kill me in second service. I am, I am sure of it. Nobody wants this now, do they? It is completely useless to drink. So, when we talk about purity of Christian living, we talk about what do we have in our lives that doesn't belong. Sure, we may look good, and notice we didn't lose any chocolate milk, and might have our faith and our belief, but there's other stuff mixed in that makes us useless, unfruitful, ineffective. And so let's look at the early church. You can start opening to Acts chapter 2. But here's some things that happen to us that I pulled out from Scripture when we live impure lives, when there's things in us that don't belong. We have broken fellowship with God, broken fellowship with other believers. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit's fire. We live in secrecy and in bondage. There's destruction. We we if we sow destruction, we reap destruction. There's a lack of sensitivity to God. Our prayers can be hindered. We can have fear. There's spiritual confusion or lack of spiritual understanding scripture says. A sense of never being satisfied, a lack of spiritual growth, a lack of joy and excitement of the Christian life. That's what we can get when we have things in our lives that don't belong. And then I see the early church, and they are on fire. And they very quickly reach this very high level of pure living. And so let's read about them. Let's let's see how they lived. Because on the flip side, Christ said that he came to give us abundant life. And he said, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's what we should want. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 41. This is the response to those who first heard Peter preach the gospel after they had received the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Flip over to the end of chapter 4. 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Do you see some of the words in there that describe this early church? Devoted? Devoted means all in. You're going full bore, pedal to the metal, you cannot be devoted to something half-heartedly. If you want to be good at something, and you're really going to devote yourself to it, you've got to go for it. There's no holding back. There's no only when you feel like it. You go after it. That's devoted. These people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to scripture, to prayer, to fellowship, you see them caring for other people in a way that just blows your mind. Can you imagine taking your four oh one K, cashing it in, and giving it to somebody who's in need. You say, Yeah, that's for my retirement. Yeah, so were those houses and lands, I'm sure. I mean, that's the extent that these people were willing to serve other people. And then you see a few times in these uh, short verses, this phrase, day by day. This became a lifestyle. This wasn't just a Sunday morning. This just, just wasn't a, uh, the times that you serve. But every single day, they were completely and, and utterly given over to their Lord. Completely, holding nothing back. Every single day... They were after this. Let's keep reading in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, I'm going to try to use a stern voice here, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, I struggle with this passage, and here's why. I've done worse than Ananias and Sapphira, and I'm still here. So what was going on that this happened? Here's where we can sell short this abundant life of God. I think if we look at how sold out these people were, how devoted, how pure they were living, I actually think that sin became a rarity at this time. And oftentimes we don't think that that's attainable, and perfection there is not, but we can get a lot closer than we are right now. Do you really believe that? And so as the church grew so much closer to Christ and to sin-free living, when this happened, the Holy Spirit wasn't having any of it. And it served a reminder for the church, don't let that stuff back in. Don't turn back to where from where you are. And that's a hard lesson. Now the church very quickly attained a very high level of purity. Um, This process of purifying ourselves, being purified by God, we call it sanctification. That's the big theological word. But the textbook definition for sanctification is a progressive work of both God and us, to reach a, more, a life that's more free and free of sin and more and more like Christ. So it's a progressive work, it's a process, but it's a work of God and us. I'm not sure if you struggle with that, but that's what we see in the New Testament. Uh, obviously, God has uh, an action here. Uh, 1 Thessalonians says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Uh, Paul says God made Christ to be our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. The Holy Spirit has the work of sanctification in our hearts, in our lives. But we have a role. We have a role to play in that too. We have a, a passive role. Romans says we yield ourselves to God. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. But Romans also says... If by the Spirit, so there's a Spirit's part, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. It's a cooperative work. Peter states in 2 Peter that we are to make every effort to put on or to supplement our faith and put on all these uh, holy characteristics make every effort. Sure sounds like that's something we need to do. And to supplement our faith means, yeah, our faith is there, but if that stuff's in there, that's no good. And so we play a role in this. We have to choose this life. Now, when you read about the church in Acts, don't romanticize the Scripture and think that they had it all figured out, and life was easy, and and this is just some fantasy world. No, they lived their life just like we do today. They had to roll out of bed on a dark, cold morning. They had to go to work. They had to go to school, do dishes, change diapers, deal with rude chariot drivers. I mean, they had life just like we have life. And yet they chose this life, moment by moment and day by day. It didn't just happen. They chose that life. Think of it like this. Think of it as you've got the greatest bicycle in the world. It's probably a Hartzler's bicycle. So you've got this bicycle, and you sit on it. I mean, that bike is... Amazing. You sit on that bike and you pick your feet up, and what happens? You fall over. Well, that's not right. This is a great bike. So you you get back up, sit on the bike again, and you pick your feet up. What happens? Fall over again. Until you choose to push the pedals of that bike, that bike gets you nowhere. And unfortunately today, as Christians, a lot of times we're, we're on the sidelines, we're sitting on the couch, we're not pushing the pedals, and, and if you see your life as uh, you see other people going by you, that are growing in their Christian life and you're not, or, or you're, you've got the spiritual confusion or the fear or whatever these things are, have you chosen this life? Or are you just sitting on the couch? So where are we, fresh water? Where are we with all this? The first thing we read was that after they received the word, they were baptized. Have you been baptized? The bottom line is if you are a follower of God and you have not been baptized, you are living in disobedience to God. Has nothing to do with your salvation, but it has everything to do with your obedience to God's word. It, it astounds me that there are believers who won't get baptized for, for fear or embarrassment or whatever it is, but they'll take communion that actually has a penalty associated with it for doing it unworthily, up to and including premature death, scripture says. We won't bat an eye at that, but you won't get baptized. It says they were added to the church. Now, that to me means more than just coming on a Sunday morning. Are you just a Sunday morning show up because it's the right thing to do? It's a habit? Or are you really in? Are you getting to know people? Are you serving? Are you uh, letting people get to know you? Are you letting the word of God sink into your heart? Or are you just coming in the doors and leaving? Are you just part of this outer crowd? It says they were in fellowship with other believers. Are you? You cannot do this Christian life well on your own. God did not set it up that way. Maybe for a little while, but it's not going to last. God has too many ways that we live together and that we sharpen each other and that we encourage each other and that we serve and teach and love each other, that if there's no each other in your life, it's not going to happen. Are you getting to know other people? Are, are you letting yourself be known to other people? It said they were of one heart and one soul. There was unity among these people. Big-time unity. Do you guard your words so that you do not put people down? You don't gossip? Do you guard your words that you're not nitpicking and stuff that isn't important? Typo in the bulletin. Who cares? I mean, seriously. Or are you fighting for unity? Are you building each other up? Are you giving? These people gave so much. Are you giving not all your 401k, but are you giving your 10%? Some people will ask, is that 10% off the gross or the net? Well, who's more important to you, the U.S. government or your Lord? (laughs) Friends, that's pure thinking right there. The U.S. government doesn't take its cut after you've given to your charities, do they? who's more important? Are you serving? It said they had all things in common. Uh, they They were doing life together. Is that your life at all? They were devoted to Scripture and to prayer. When it comes to reading Scripture, have you read all of it? I remember there was a time in my life I was early 20s uh, I think and I realized I had this thought that I could not imagine standing before God someday and not being able to say that I at least read it all. Now I don't understand it all but did I even read it all? He left it here for me and for you what did I do with it? Have you read it all? If you get a, a Bible on CD or you download a copy of it, it's only about 75 hours long. Now it kind of sounds like a long time, but I looked up the uh, the average TV watching for an American, and in a little over two weeks, if you are average, you could have read the entire Bible if you turn the TV off. A little over two weeks. Or maybe you're stuck on FaceChat or Instabook or whatever those things are. I mean, maybe you're stuck on those so much, and yet Scripture gets pulled out on a Sunday morning from the same spot on the bookcase every week. How long have you been a Christian? Do you know how to feed yourself every day from the Word? Do Do you understand how to break it apart and feed yourself? If not, have you asked somebody to help you? Some, of you? some of us just need help. Find somebody who is good at it and say, hey, I need help. Show me what you do. How do you have your quiet time? How do you do your devotions? How many times do you pray a day and don't include the phrase, thank you for this food? Can you pray for an hour, 20 minutes, five minutes without getting bored, without running out of something to pray for? Are you really devoted, I mean devoted to prayer? There was a, I heard a a Christian music artist on the radio and he was talking about how his pastor one time challenged their congregation By asking this question, if God answered all your prayers today, would anybody's life change except your own? Are you really devoted and given over to prayer? Praising God and worship, it says they they did. And Scott talked about this very, I mean, wonderful last week, so I'm not going to stay here long, but you don't have to be here on a Sunday morning to worship God and experience his presence in your life. And you shouldn't just be here on Sunday morning experiencing God's presence and worship. That should be a day-by-day activity. Are you doing it? Are you reaching the unsaved? This is a lifestyle for them. If day-by-day God was adding to the church, that means day-by-day those Christians were witnessing to an unsaved person. Every day. How are we doing with that? Or do we leave that for somebody else? Is that something else outside of these walls and it's less important? How about sin? Are we harboring sin in our life? There's a phrase out there, I don't know if you've heard it, um, the phrase is uh, normalizing deviance or normalizing a deviation. And what that refers to is uh, when something, when you should be, you know, the straight and narrow path here or, or between the guardrails and something goes off a little bit and it goes off a little bit again and again and again and again, and again. it happens over and over. Sometimes it becomes uh, acceptable and you can accept that continuous deviation. And over time, if there's no catastrophic consequence to it, it becomes normal. And you've now normalized what is really wrong and going off. And that's just like sin. If we let it sink in and we let it fester and plan itself and grow up, it starts to just feel normal. And it starts to become accepted and tolerated. Friends, we need to hate it. We need to hate it. Power of sin is in its secrecy. That's why scripture says, confess your sin and pray for each other. Get it out in the open. The best thing you can do if you've got sin in your life, and I'm not just talking about you sin and and you're working at it and you're asking God to be in that and you're going after it, but if it's just sitting there and you're not doing anything about it, confess it. Get it out in the open. Men, let me say this. If there's pornography in your life, get it out. It does not belong. Not even a little bit. Don't tolerate it. Don't seek it. Hate it. Get it out. Look over at 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. This process of purity never stops. We never reach the end until we get to see our Savior face to face. And look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen, for if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They keep you from becoming this tainted chocolate milk, where you look good, but you're nasty. And you've got this junk in you, and Peter says it's ineffective and unfruitful. That's the description of our lives, if that is the case. And then read the next verse, verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It all goes back to remembering what Christ did for us, to never leaving the foot of the cross. Because the reality is, we trust him with our eternal salvation, and then yet we hold back in certain areas, or we say, you're not enough, or we fear uh, the future because we don't trust him enough. Have you forgotten that your sins are completely washed away? So how are you doing? You keep getting up on the bike and just tipping over? See people flying by? You know you got stuff in you that's got to get out. And you've tolerated it too long? Can't get traction? Do you even want this life that you read about in Acts? If your answer is no, what does that say? about your Christian walk. There's two ways that we can respond to this today. The first, as we've already said, is you can choose this life. You can choose today to live differently than yesterday. You can start today. A friend of mine a long time ago I heard say, it's it's okay to be where you are, but it's not okay to stay there. We've got to choose this life. I am confident that God has done, is doing, and will do everything perfectly and completely on His part. So what about us? What about you? Are you going to choose this life? In just a minute, if God is, uh, is work has is told you something, or you know that there's something that's got to get out of your life, or you need to say, yes to him on, or whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a minute. But you're not standing for me. You're not standing for God even. You're standing for yourself because God knows what's going on inside you. But some of us, it's been a long time since we've said yes to God and we've taken a step or we've put ourselves out there. And so if God is laying something on your heart that needs to change, I'm going to pray for you, but I'd ask you to stand right now. Just stand. God, you see every person who is standing today, and you know exactly what's going on. I have no idea. and I don't want to know God, I ask that you would give courage to do what they know needs to be done. That you would give peace as they move forward into what might be uncertainty. God, that you would shower them with love and affection. They are your children and you love them. God, I pray for our church to grow in purity. God, as we seek you more and more and more and more. Amen. If everybody could please stand, there's a second way that we can respond. And it comes from this last part here where it says, uh, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Friends, we need to get really good at remembering. We need to never leave the foot of the cross. We need to never forget of what Christ did for us. That comes through worship. That comes through scripture. But let's never, ever leave the foot of the cross. Every day, Let's remember what we've been saved from. When Christ saw you, he thought you were worth dying for. Is he worth living for?